Mahomes, their second year of existence, have won MLS Cup. Usher final. Yes, the audio is bad. Yes, I forgot my mic when I moved to a different lo-fi. location. Lo-fi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is our this is our lo-fi stage. We're we're basically a, a 90s indie band. Um Chill Cow, five try final. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh look, the audio may be bad, but the results are good. That's all that matters. Atlanta United, <laughs> one nothing winners over the New York Red Bulls for literally the first time ever in the regular season. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Like, I don't think there's any other like rational response to this other than holy, holy shit, a win over Red Bulls. Like any anything else, just gonna throw it out the window. Just gonna throw it out the window for the most part. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when we look back at this result at the end of the year, if you know, there's well, first of all, we should say that whenever you, we always say this, and then at the end of the year, no one is ever looking back at the results. <laughs> And being like <laughs> that one, I remember when that that was a great result, or that was a lost points. Um, I should say that very rarely happens, but the only thing that matters is you get three points. That's what's going to help you at the end of the season be as high in the standings as possible. So that is important. But I also do think that actually uh, showed something of this team to win a game that was like that. You know, that was yes. not mm-hmm. the prettiest thing. That frankly is just not the way that Atlanta United envisions itself playing, but it showed it can win a game when it's not kind of playing its style necessarily. I I think they did do some of the things they wanted to do tactically. And we can talk about that later, but just general broad speaking, broadly speaking, it was a physical kind of brutal game, I would say. And Mm. it's impressive that Atlanta United was able to come out winners in that kind of game. 10 yellow cards, 30 fouls, 10 yellow cards. Yeah. (laughs) Just, just a whole mess. How was the rewatch? Yeah, you told me you were rewatching it. That's yeah, I know I know you do that, but that, that was a pretty brutal one. It's it's fine. It is what it is. There are a few moments where you go, okay, well, that was actually pretty impressive. Tiago Amada maybe like skipping away from a few guys, but there are also moments where Tiago Amada uh, just mm-hmm. gave the ball to Red Bulls. So yeah, uh, had an interesting game. We need to talk about this game from Tiago. Yeah. I think yeah, just a sure. little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Not that there's too much to take from it because you know I've I've said this multiple times, and it's been my kind of thesis behind why you shouldn't try to play through Red Bulls in the first place because when you try to play soccer against a team that's playing a completely different sport you're gonna lose most of the time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Atlanta United has lost most of the time you know um, in this case they still played soccer for the most part they they obviously changed the game state early with the reaction goal from Yorgos who I mean just his reaction on that goal is absurd just to see him literally like he eases past a defender who's like still flat footed as Yurgos is already getting to the ball. You know, um, yeah. it's extremely impressive. But in the overall scheme of things, you know, Atlanta, like you said, Jeff, they they won a street fight. This was as ugly as it was going to get. It was as physical as it was going to get. And I think it's not unfair to say that that past Atlanta United teams would have wilted under that because they were under pressure the entire game. There were these physical moments throughout the entire game and, and other less mentally sound Atlanta United teams would have probably snapped under that pressure. Oh yeah. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. I mean, this showed a certain kind of, um, just like, yeah, sturdiness to the team. And to me, it's kind of centers around Franco Ibarra, who has been a player that, mm came into the season kind of fighting for playing time, fighting for a role. And to me, he is, you know, one of the the anchors of this of this midfield. I don't necessarily mean anchors in like a, a role, but I just mean in terms of um the kind of solidity he offers that I don't think any of the other midfielders really give you in this team. I mean, he's just it's like don't stand on the tracks when the train's running through kind of situation with him. <laughs> and it's great because Atlanta United, I I think they they always if they if they want to be a team that plays the nice stuff and is the attacking team, you always need some sort of like counterbalance to that. And um, you know, in the early days, I think they did it in a more kind of elegant way with um Michael Parkhurst and players like that, Jeff Lorenowitz being these kind of really intelligent players and were able to kind of, you know, 
position themselves in effective ways that helped Atlanta United gain some balance in the game. But I think that Franco Ibarra just brings a physical, you know, attitude, just so many things that he brings to the game that I think this team is really needed. And, you know, he needs to be consistent. And certainly there's things he needs to improve upon. He can improve upon in his game, especially on the technical side. But I think that, you know, if you're looking for one of the reasons why Atlanta United has gotten off to such a solid start, again, if you kind of throw the way that Columbus game is a, a true outlier for obvious reasons, maybe he's a big reason why. It's not only him from that mentality perspective. I, I think the he plays a huge part of it. I, I, I'm not trying to discredit him. I just want to add that I think the defining moment of the entire game was a moment you asked about a few times in the locker room, Joe, where Derek Etienne gets bumped off the ball, essentially gets taken down to the ground. And Yurgos Yakimakis kind of like processes it. Like you, see, you can see him standing in the center of the field and kind of going, okay, this was a, this was a thing that happened. How am I going to respond to that? And the ball comes out really quickly towards the defender uh, right next to him. I think it's Jared Stroud and Yakimaki's like, it goes airborne directly into him, clatters him, takes him out, immediate screaming and pain yeah. from the Red Bulls defender. Everyone kind of comes together and starts pushing and shoving. And then your ghost says this thing. He's done this a few times now where he goes over to like gently check on the cadaver he just created. <laughs> like he walks over and places like a, a really gentle hand on the person's chest. <laughs> and you can just kind of hear him saying in his very soft way, like, are you okay? <laughs> Bet that hurt, didn't it? It's wonderful. What I love, what, what, what I love about that tackle, he like goes in for the tackle. Really quickly. He goes in for the tackle and then immediately like stands up and like puffs his chest out. Like he knows like he's about to get swarmed by players. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is Sparta. <clears throat> it was beautiful. It's, it's one of those things that kind of permeated throughout the entire team. And it's something that Brad Kazan really hit on in a really excellent way. I think kind of throughout his post-game talk was talking about yeah. this team getting its hands dirty. And, you know, this isn't a game where you can put just one leg out in the tackle. You have to put your entire body into the tackle. And and those things matter over the course of the season where the margins are are so thin. And every game, when you can have that kind of physical element to it, when you can add that in with everything else you're doing, that makes you a really dangerous team. You're kind of seeing teams like Cincinnati right now, like grind out points, you know, and you Mm -hmm. kind of have to to do that to be a team that can be at the top of of the table and can be a team that can win trophies. And what what did your guys say after the game? Some of the effect that you have to win these games to prove that you can be a champion. And Mm -hmm. you know what? This kind of feels like that kind of litmus test for this team. Honestly, even six games in, I mean, you can look at that and go, okay, well, if, if the trajectory is upward from here, then things are going really, really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's a game. It's funny. I mentioned this on the radio today. I was on the radio for nine to nine. I'll be on today and through Wednesday. And it's one cool. of those things where it's like with Tata Martino, we, we obviously look back on Tata Martino's teams with a lot of reverence and uh, maybe like too rosy eyed or rosy glassed uh, through and through rose tinted glasses um, mm-hmm. because of the success that they had by winning that championship. But, you know, first of all, this team has gotten off to a better points total than that those teams ever did to start a season. And, but not only that, it's they're winning a game like this, that those teams didn't tend to do, you know, like uh, as good as that two, 2018 team was like, they, they had to win it their way like they had to play they had to play games their way and they were really good and they were able to play they were able to force teams into succumbing to their style so often but they weren't able to really adapt very well as well when they had to play in a game like this and i'm not saying that obviously atlanta united is going to be able to win every game that they get into if they play it like the one that they played on saturday but yeah to your point i mean just into what brad was saying and your goes after the game it just shows a lot of backbone it shows that you know that's your the team if they want to really be championship contenders they've got to show an ability to be able to fight in games like these and give themselves an opportunity to win games in mls are decided like this far more often than they're there than they're decided like the portland game yeah no doubt you know Far more often. So to be able to come out and do that, really encouraging. Really encouraging. We want to encourage you guys to go check out Kirk Castle 
on the intro of the song is Chances. Uh, thanks, Kurt, for letting us use his song for a, few, a couple of years now. It's been a while. Uh, also, you guys, it, it's been a while, but if you haven't done it by now, there's still time to go check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash five stripe final. Go check that out. Tom Bogert was our guest last week. He great, had some really good combo. insight into... Yeah, really, really good. Really enjoyed that. Uh, Tom had some really good insight into some of the ongoing transfer thoughts in particular circumstances that might be coming up uh, throughout the year. Uh, really, really good insight. Go check that out. Again, patreon.com slash five Tom, stripe. Tom's a Final. funny, fu- Tom's a funny dude too. I, I just like enjoy talking to like, it, I don't know, maybe when he comes on with us, cause he's been on with us now several times, we just kind of laid back, but I really like how that one in particular turned out, but it's fun. I just love it when our guests come on and feel like they can be kind of laid back and not be, um, so buttoned up, I guess. <laughs> especially for someone like Tom, who's like, you know, he's got like a le- he has a legitimate job in terms of you know reporting a lot of actual news that's happening around the league, and so it was good to just kind of get his unvarnished opinion on some stuff. So again, yeah, Patreon.com/slash Five Stripe Finals, where you can get that. Tom Bogert as unbuttoned up as a Gonzalez Pineda trench coat. You gotta love it. <laughs> you gotta love it. Uh, look, let's talk about Gonzo. Let's talk about his kind of approach to this. And yeah. a, I think something we need to kind of point out is that he nailed the subs. The, the subs were a really interesting part of this to me mm, because yeah. there was a midpoint through the game where Red Bull's adjustment was this. They bring on their new DP, Dante Benzier, at halftime. He's the DP forward. They shift to what's essentially a 4 2 which they've been trying to implement. And... It immediately gave Atlanta fits. Like I'm talking like first 15 seconds, Vanzier gets a chance and on goal. Um, missed it, of course, but uh, it was threatening for a while there. And it really started to feel like, okay, Atlanta is doing a really good job of holding on to the rope, but eventually it's going to slip. It's going to slip. So what are the adjustments you make now that they have the two strikers, right? Now that they have that 4 2 2 causing some problems. And I didn't know the answer. I had no idea. I looked at you as like, I don't know what the adjustment is, <laughs> you know? And I kind of just thought that we were going to continue with this and see the team struggle. But uh, Gonzalo found it. Gonzalo found it. And full credit to him. But I, I didn't think it was going to be bringing Kometei Sasetsu and Machop Chol. But by the end of the game, I was really convinced that that was just a really solid move. It might have been one of the only moves, but I, I still want to give credit where it's due because, I mean, Sasetsu comes in and helps settle things. Hosetu comes in and it helps kind of ease the game along. Atlanta has some really nice moments in possession. Uh, Matt Doyle highlighted this like three-minute period of the game from like minute 74 to 77 where Atlanta was really in control of possession and, and Red Bulls really kind of never really threatened after that, you know? Um, so yeah, just super well done in that regard. And I thought, you know, I thought the Chol sub, I guess we should call him Chop. It doesn't sound right to say chill. chop, 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 chill. Um, I thought that sub was an even braver one because he's mm-hmm. not a guy who is typically, you know, you would be thinking is coming on, you know, a more traditional sub would have been maybe to bring on Miguel Berry for Yako or something, you know, something standard like that. But to bring on chop in that position, I actually thought, you know, I didn't know what he was going to do either. But when he made the move, I thought, you know what, this I think this is actually the right thing to do for the way that he wants his team to try to punish Red Bulls in this game, because what did he talk to us about, you know, heading into the game and the way they created their first goal was to, you know, try to play, play the ball tight in their own half and draw Red Bulls in and then hit these long diagonals into space where then they could get guys, you know, their, their wingers out there running. And I thought that shop was a, you know, the right choice to be the guy who you could distribute the ball to and get him running down the flank. And he was able to do that at times. He drew Mm -hmm. a foul, a crucial foul at one point um, with a nice little dribble where he skipped the ball over the guy's leg. Um, Thought he performed, you know, his role to, and to chop's credit, I thought he performed his role really well when he came on too. So probably I think the most um, impactful moment that he's had in Atlanta United shirt, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. Just a few moments where even just getting fouled because he has a long legs was very mm-hmm. helpful in kind of easing that game 
out of the bins, right? Yeah. And, you know, one of the other things he's obviously been working as a striker in the preseason. And I noticed that they were asking him to do a lot of the closing down that they would normally ask Yako as the striker to do. And that allowed Yako to kind of drop just in behind him a little bit and just ease his legs. It just took the burden off mm-hmm. of him, especially, you know, a guy who traveled around the globe, basically, during the international break to come back. And I think was he looked like I mean, he was struggling at the end, but credit to him for you know getting it out and, and staying out for the 90 minutes. But, um, yeah, I just thought that Chop did a lot of things that the team really needed from him in his in his appearance. You mentioned the long balls and the diagonals and what Gonzalo wanted to do. And, and one of the phrases that Amar say that she used before the game was to attract the press not trigger it. And I like that. I like that as a concept. I'm not entirely sure how well that concept was actually executed for the most part, but yeah. I, I do think overall the, the plan itself was effective. I do have some minor complaints. I do have some minor complaints. You kind of mentioned um, the, the long ball miles plate, the Derek over the yeah. top that set up the goal would have liked to see more of that. Honestly, yeah. really would have liked to see more of that. I think there were moments where it, and I think Mo would do, phrased it as like blind balls over the top where you kind of can't really see exactly what's happening, you know, but you know, that player's making a run and Derek was making that run. He got frustrated a few times because I think Caleb in particular wasn't seeing to make that run. Mm-hmm. Um, there were moments where Atlanta could have just turned and hit it. And I know that sounds productive, but against a team where essentially field position and field tilt, uh, field tilt is so critical it, worst case scenario, right? You flip the field, right? And you make them play with the ball. Yeah. You know, there were moments there where I thought that really could have eased some pressure and eased the game, but Atlanta kind of continued to try to to play through it, you know? It, it, and that's kind of my only complaint. This is, they, they put themselves in a position in the end where it could have been a very familiar feeling, they, honestly. Yeah, I mean, they were definitely playing with fire with that tactic, basically. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, you're you're basically literally trying to bring Red Bulls into a situation that they feel is advantageous to them in the hopes of basically turning that on a dime, you know, and then and switching mm-hmm. the play. And then all of a sudden you're in the advantageous position. Um, and it was a gamble that, you know, in the end it worked out, but it certainly created some opportunities for Red Bulls too. And I think that you know th- there was a couple times where um, Tiago Amada had these really bad giveaways and mm-hmm. I think that, like he was trying to do the diagonal thing, but in his own way, like that was like the, that was like Tiago Amada doesn't, uh, well, I shouldn't say he doesn't hit the diagonals, but that's the way he was trying to switch the field was on these kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. these like, um, I call him like a worm burning, like cross, you know, uh, just on the grass and he just did not get the angles right. And they got cut out. Um, so that created some danger too. And, you know, certainly rebels were able to press Atlanta in certain situations, but yeah, there were moments where they got it right. And that pass from miles to, to Derek was one of them. I I do think that the wingers were a little bit, um, frustrated to your point. I think, you know, mostly Derek, um, because they were playing as wide as I've ever seen them. And I think, again, that was probably by design from Pineda. He really wanted Mm -hmm. to stretch them out as much as possible so that when they were able to exploit them with those switches, they were, they would be in the most advantageous position possible. But what that did was it kind of took them out of the game. Like they were just weren't able to get on the ball, um, as much as maybe they would typically be used to. Yeah, I think you kind of bring up a good point is that they did flip the field at times. It was just horizontally instead of vertically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And I think exactly. that can get you into a lot of trouble against Red Bulls, as, as we saw with the Almada passes that were, I mean, Alex Dijon-esque, I guess is how I would refer to it uh, after mm-hmm. last year's game, you know? And that <laughs> yeah, kind of thing can happen. It was literally just moments where you cannot make that pass, like clapping emojis in between each <laughs> statement there. You cannot make that pass. Yeah. Um, so it just couldn't happen. It was frustrating to kind of see that at times, but for the most part, you know, it, it was effective to kind of see them pull it in and um, essentially work their way out of it at times. Again, I just like to see be more hey, vertical. Uh, you said you wanted to talk about Almada's role in this game or, or something about Almada at, earlier. I, I have something to say on him, but do you want to give your thoughts first? Well, real quick, I want to add to just okay. on the, sure. the, yeah. the switching. And you mentioned another thing that I want to hit on real quick. Okay. Okay. It's just yep. the the wingers were were wide. As, as you were saying, they were wider than you've ever seen, everything like that. I think Moadu 
who was really good in this game, by the way. I'll just go back. And if that was the most enjoyable part of the rewatch. You were asking how hard the rewatch was. I was listening to some of Modu's <laughs> comments. Um, he, he framed it as Atlanta making the field big. You mm-hmm. know, and I, I really like that as a, as a framework for understanding how to play against Red Bulls is you make the field big because when you make it tight and you bring it in those smaller spaces, you're going to get burned, right? And they're going to win those 50-50s and you're going to be in trouble, right? So mm-hmm. that was the thought process there and Atlanta was pretty effective at it. In part because of Tiago Amada. I think there were moments where he had a lot of rushing yards, I guess is what I would call it. <laughs> he was carrying the ball at his feet and able to create space that way, right? Mm-hmm. And it opened up a few times where he was able to play through balls and all this kind of stuff. And it carved Red Bulls up pretty yeah. well. Yeah. And then there were those other moments we were talking about, which, uh-oh. It was, it was undoubtedly his worst game for Atlanta United this year. You know, just making yes. mistakes really probably should have allowed, like, been at fault for a goal that was scored. Atlanta mm-hmm. was really fortunate that they did not concede on. I think it was twice that he gave up two. They were off the top of my head. There was so, two so really there were two cross fields, and there was one where like him and Franco Barra just kind of like ran together for literally no reason <laughs> and gave the ball away. It okay. was really goofy. I've got it clipped. I'll put it in the strike okay. article tomorrow. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. So like for those reasons, you know, it, it was his worst game and admittedly a great run of form that he's been on at the same time. I still think that he was like pretty instrumental in Atlanta United and in their attack and mm-hmm. doing what they wanted to do because of what you were saying, just like the way he's able to keep the ball at times and you know, sometimes he's able to shrug off a tackle and move into space. Sometimes he's just kind of dribbling in a tight circle, but at least he's not losing the ball necessarily. And sometimes, you know, maybe there were opportunities for him to make a better decision here or there or to distribute somewhere. Um, but overall, I, I still thought that he was, you know, a net positive for the team. And the only reason I think it's worth worth mentioning that is because I did see him getting some, you know, criticism on Twitter for being, you know, off or rusty in the game, which I do agree with as well. I mean, I think that that's certainly true, but man, I I still just don't see how Atlanta United, how their attack would be as effective if he's mm-hmm. unable to play for whatever reason. Yeah, no, completely agree. And it's so hard to assess players on like an individual level, especially an attack in this game, because again, you're playing, you're playing a different sport, mm-hmm. you know, I, I I get those criticisms. And again, I, I think there are a few passes in particular that just can't happen under any circumstances, especially in, in that scenario. But overall, I mean, I, I think considering the circumstances, he's good. He was good. You there know, was yeah, good the, enough. There was one moment I remember where we turned to each other at the same time. I was like, Jesus, <laughs> he, like, <laughs> he was like, you know, he's just like navigating his way in these tight little spaces. And it's just it's, Fun to watch a, a nifty player on the ball like that. And Atlanta, I, there was a there was also one moment that I can remember where they had a really nice passage of play, where they just kind of diced up Red Bulls through the middle, like you know, just with some mm-hmm. some nice short angled passing around with their midfielders, and it ended up I think with like Almada or somebody running with the ball forward into space um, in an attacking phase. So worth pointing that out as well they were they were able to do some things but you know clearly not the the ideal game uh in the attack for atlanta united but um yeah just that's hel- okay. just really helps to have that's okay. right yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah because they went into a bar fight and came out like yeah. having smashed a, a beer glass over red yeah. bull's head and that hasn't happened before that hasn't happened before and that really needs to kind of be the the larger big picture be all end all of, of analysis with this one Mm-hmm. Oh, also want to mention, I thought Caleb Wiley did really well transitioning to left back, um, which obviously is his kind of natural position as he stayed after the game. He's like, you know, it's obviously not like new for him, but, mm-hmm. you know, I always just worry about a player who is as young as he is and is just, you know, moving into a new role because you train and practice in doing a certain thing in a certain position with certain players around you. And then all of that changes. And as familiar as you might be with the position, especially when you're doing it in a game against Red Bulls, where they're just going to create all kinds of havoc for you. He wasn't perfect, but it wasn't like, you know, there were no like obvious mistakes and, and things of that nature. Yeah. I think overall the back line was pretty outstanding. Yeah. I mean, Iwanho was great. 
Yeah. Miles, oh, yeah. Miles is just I mean, doing things right now. Both Good of the Lord. center backs had basically goal saving moments. Wanho yes. with a, a tackle. And the Miles Robinson, when he defended that, it looked to me like a three on one. It may have, maybe it was a two on one, but whatever it was, when he's retreating back towards his own goal and kind of fainting, like he's going to go one way or another, it creates indecisiveness on the ball carrier. And all the while, he's actually closing down the space between himself and the ball carrier because he's kind of retreating at a slightly slower pace than the guy is running at him and then makes the decisive mo- moment to to make the tackle and dispossess the guy. Just That's just like natural instinct. Like, And I mm-hmm. talk about defensive instincts a lot, and nobody has him better than Miles Robinson. He's just... He's just out of this world, and it's funny to think for me to think about. You know, six weeks ago, I was hoping that he would be like a, you know, semblance of himself, uh, mm-hmm. a, a capable MLS center back, and he's already looking like a the best defender in the league or one of one of them. It's not only that, but I mean, the passing's been outstanding too. Yeah, I mean, he's just been the, the total package, and we need to have a larger conversation about his contract situation in, in the sense that like Atlanta needs to start considering whether or not it's worth offering him a DP deal. Will he take that? I don't know. I don't know. He may just want to get to Europe and that's totally fine, but mm-hmm. I think it's worth considering at this point, especially as the team kind of continues to undergo changes. Um, I'm, I'm asking around about that to kind of get people's uh, certain thoughts on everything. And I'll have something up in the striker sometime this week about that. Nice. Just to talk about it a little more because he's yeah. been that good. Yeah. He's been that good. It's yeah. worth having that conversation. No doubt. It certainly seems like if it's not going to be a Lane United that offers him a DP contract, I bet another team in the league would offer him a DP contract. Now, I, don't get me started on, I don't know what the, <laughs> yeah, the question is. Can are. They? Right, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, he's good. Good soccer player. There we go. We nailed it. Good job, us. Good job, you guys. We're going to answer your questions. In just a moment, after a quick break. After this lo-fi Lucid FC, <laughs> Lucid <laughs> footwear and clothing, uh, they have a shop in Buckhead's open by appointment and walk-ins 1 to 8 p.m. daily. It's located at 3209 Paces Ferry Place. They just came out with a new collection. Uh, and if you are not familiar with them, if you're new to the show, they do like kind of like Europeans-inspired urban streetwear kind of stuff. Uh, with some really cool graphic design. So check them out at lucidfc.us. They've got new stuff releasing all the time over there on their website. And if you do like anything and you want to buy it, use DSS as your free shipping code within the United States. Um, Yeah. Lucid FC, go team. And thank you to them for supporting this podcast for so long. So the team just tweeted out like a list of stats from the game. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'll use this as a preface before we get into the questions, but uh, Atlanta, 36 registered counter pressures, uh, Red Bulls, 37 registered counter pressures in the game. So they 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 pressed toe for toe with Red Bulls, it sounds like. Those, those stats are always kind of goofy. Uh, don't take too much stock into them, but I, I think we can all agree that my test kind of holds up with that as well. You know, what's really interesting about this is that the team would post a stat like that <laughs> oh it's like, it's a blatant troll yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah same yeah. as uh, same as trey young showing up to do the gold spike it was a <laughs> it was a dig in new york right yeah oh yeah oh yeah i think so i think so and i hadn't even put that together until maybe it was you or somebody else that that mentioned it but um <laughs> yeah i i think it's nice i i enjoy the uh the, these kinds of stats i like l- knowing about counter pressures and uh, recoveries in the attacking half. So mm-hmm. good job by the team. Also very good. Uh, 0.23 XG per shot. That's well, well above average <laughs> and way, way above what Atlanta United had last year. So that's maybe they're one. tweeting at us. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> maybe they're tweeting at us. Uh, you guys were sending questions to us in the Discord. Sinker Reyes says, what made you happier? Atlanta finally beating Red Bulls in the regular season or the Dog Food Club? Finally losing. I hold no ill will towards St. Louis City SC. Uh, I, I do not. So I'm much more happy to be Red Bulls. I'm glad you knew that reference. And can you explain it to me? I don't. Uh, they would have Purina as their sponsorship. Oh, that's, okay, that's okay, the whole bit. Right. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> that's the whole bit. Dude, it's so funny. I don't even notice like sponsors at this point. <laughs> I just. Yeah. Um, yeah, of course. I don't care about. I don't care about St. Louis. Yeah. In fact, good for no, them. I mean, I like. Yeah. 
they're going to crumble at some point anyway, and they're in the West. So who cares? Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Curse of Kids says, what the hell has gotten into Franco Barra playing great consistently out of nowhere? I really do think it's as simple as he's playing in his natural position. Yeah. You know? And what that does to explain it with my tiny soccer brain is it allows him to operate from a smaller area. And within that smaller area, if you are if you are pulled into the gravity of Franco Ibarra, you are goddamn stuck there. You know, he's mm-hmm. able to position himself and he's able to extend his legs and position his entire body in a way that makes him extremely effective at winning the ball back. And that's just kind of the end of it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's playing with so much confidence now, too. You know, I, I think that he feels comfortable and with the with that comfort, with the um, the form that he's been in, it just makes him even better at what he does. And so that's great. I also think he's just been surrounded by the right players, you know, so he's playing mm-hmm. in the right role, but he's also got the right players around him that allow him to, yeah, to your point, do what he does best. So it's great to see. I hope he can just stay healthy because I feel like all the time it happens where like a player gets in this little, in this kind of form and then they pick up an injury and they miss yeah. a bunch of time and then they like can't find that form again. So hopefully he can just keep it rolling. Yeah, uh, I hope so too. I hope so too. It's been fun to watch. It really has been. And I think part of what helps as well is within that smaller sphere of operation is the checklist is shorter. Like the yes. checklist is yes. win ball back, progress ball. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's it. He doesn't have to necessarily worry about some of the more uh, superfluous stuff that maybe a, a box to box eight might have to do. And the, the Marseille is just doing a really good job of right now. Um, you know, it, lessens the burden on him and it allows him to succeed in the, in the best possible way. And that's very Seattle, isn't it? And as I say that out loud to just put him in the best position, to let him succeed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Go JD says the bar was good again. Hosetsu was an effective sub. What other things will this season teach us that we got horribly wrong? Um, <laughs> I'm sure more, I, I don't know what else is on the way. Maybe, maybe Burke's landing gets more assists than Julian Gressel or something like that. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, for me, like, you know, I already mentioned the Miles Robinson thing. Been very wrong on that, which I couldn't mm-hmm. be happier to have been to oh, be yeah, wrong totally. about. So uh, I'll take that. And with this one as well, I'll be happy to be wrong about it. Um, yeah. And again, like with Rosetto, uh, he, obviously, we've criticized him. And I think rightfully, obviously, I wouldn't criticize him if I didn't think it was just. But um, I actually thought, I mean, I was calling for him i tweeted it before the sub that i thought that he would be uh, you know a good player to insert into the game at that moment because he would be mm-hmm. able to like you really need it at that point in the game you needed what he offers which is tidiness on the ball and just connect pat connect pretty pretty much short easy passes and he was mm-hmm. able to do that and it's kind of funny He's just like extremely doomed in the box. He had like a great opportunity <laughs> that like went just over the bar. It was great movement blocked. though. Yeah, I know. It was, it was, it was beautiful. He plays it's this like, diagonal. Right. He, get, he, get, he sees that the overlap is happening and goes into the half space into the primary system, which is exactly why yep. Gonzalo Pinedo wants him there in the first place. Yep. Then he just kind of shanked it a little yep. bit. And so it yep. happens. Ya- Yako shanked one like immediately after. So. And, he, and he had, I mean, he had one where he did literally everything right and it just got a crazy block on it, I think. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, sometimes he's doomed by either, you know, it doesn't matter if it's his own, you know, blunders or <laughs> not, or just bad luck, but for whatever reason, he just cannot, nothing can go right for him there. But yeah, I mean, I think that despite the criticism that we've given him, he certainly does some things well. And sometimes mm-hmm. those things can be very helpful for you. I will say on that very note that I think Sadish was the right idea to start. I think Sadich helped you in that street fight kind of game. I think Sadich was looking to progress the ball. I think he did pretty well. You know, he, he did Amar Sadich things, you know, mm-hmm. which is not like top end stuff, but it is stuff that needs to get done, you know? So I, I thought that was the right call. And initially I thought it might make sense to start. So he could do exactly what you're talking about, Joe, connect those short passes and be a part of breaking down that press and everything like that. But the way it kind of structured out for him to kind of come in and act as like a closer Using that same skill set was really mm-hmm. effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, Cursive Kid asked, thoughts on Aota Uju's performance? Not not great. Not completely terrible. He was yeah. pretty limited in, in what he could do. Um, 
I don't think we can take too much away from Luis in this one. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't great. And to kind of continue a theme that we've been talking about now for the last couple of weeks, it's just like I don't. At one point, I thought he was like an MVP kind of player in this league, but I think that's clearly shown itself to not be the case. I think he can still be effective for you in certain games that go the right way. But in this one, yeah, it was just not really a, a game kind of meant for him to be able to to thrive. He had to do a lot of more dirty work and a lot of running and a lot of you know defensive running, especially. And which, which is a credit to him that he does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think it's super important to keep pointing that out, that his work yeah. rate's been phenomenal. He's not sulking. You yeah. know, he, yeah. he could get in behind more off the ball, but defensively, he's doing the things that have made this team effective. Yeah. Has he been like the MVP level player that we kind of hoped? No, but he's doing enough. Is that yeah. worth the DB contract? Let's talk about it later. Hey, uh, did you think he got fouled on that one where the, he no. was in on goal? I didn't think so either. I thought he got the ball. The ball was kind of cleanly nicked away from him and then he kind of stumbled over it. Yeah, um, yeah. which happens. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. It's whatever. He made the run. Great ball right. from Amato right. on that play. Yeah. He, has yeah. A, he did this little move where um, he, I, I think it was Busquets who was very famous for doing this little, just kind of like a backwards run back into space that caused uh, defenders to back off him essentially mm-hmm. and open mm-hmm. up space. And, and as the runners kind of move forward and he did that and turned around and picked out Louise. It was that, beautiful. That's what's so funny about Amada. I mentioned this to you in the press box during the games. Like he play, he plays like you're, a guy is controlling him in FIFA. Like just mm-hmm. like kind of running around with the ball. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, so the benefit of that is that there's just these movements. I think that players don't tend to see and so like an example mm-hmm. like that you just kind of back off because you don't know what the hell he's doing and then he unleashes a pass so exactly no that's a great point that's a great point uh speaking of fouls though i do think the where cornell comes out to try to stop almada at one point a long ball over the top and it's outside oh, the box and right right that was a that foul. was a missed call <laughs> yeah that that should have been a foul that, that definitely uh, should have been a foul. We, we haven't even talked about the refereeing. Fortunately, there are no questions about the refereeing. I like that because everyone everyone <laughs> if, knows where our heads are if at. They lo- um, if they lost, there would be. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I thought it was I like it. poorly after, managed. Yeah, after the game, uh, Pineda's like, I like Alex. Alex is a great guy. <laughs> <laughs> As it were, like, if they, if they lose, <laughs> Pineda's like, you guys need to ask about the refs. I can't talk about it. <laughs> Yeah, we actually have a question about this. Rubber Anchor says, were you surprised Pineda came out and voiced his disagreement with some of the referee decisions? In the past, he's been careful to always say they are perfect to avoid trouble with the league. Now, he didn't say anything finable. One, I'm going to say that. Two, I thought the play here was really interesting. Again, I've been watching a lot of succession. Everything's a play now. But the play here was really interesting (laughs) because he spins this it spins these calls into this idea that Atlanta United doesn't get enough respect. Uh huh. That was interesting. Memories. Yeah. This was clever. This yeah. was really clever. You know, <laughs> I loved it. I actually yeah. love that response. Honestly, you know, and, does and, he probably, does he believe that? I don't probably not. I right. don't know. Right. It seems insane to me that Atlanta fucking United would get was enough that, respect. Was that in response to my question? I imagine it was. Cause Maybe. I, I asked about the Yorgos thing. And by the way, like, I feel like that question, I was asking it a lot during all the press or stuff, and I feel like it wasn't coming off right to a lot of people. Maybe I, was, I wasn't asking it properly. I was I was more wondering, like, what kind of message, if he, if he was, like, trying to send a message either to his own team or to the refs or something with that challenge that he made. But um, Right, probably uh, not consciously, but right, subconsciously, right. yeah. Like, something yeah. kicked in there to where, like, oh, okay, yeah. fuck this guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But what it ended up doing was just, like, spurring a lot of discussion about the referees from these, you know, people I was asking the question to. And, um... Yeah, I, I was purposely, I, I actually purposely in this one wanted to say, and I kind of like put it in my question. I was like, I thought the the refereeing was questionable because I didn't want him to, I wanted him to know that those are my priors and then to see how he would react to that because that's not always been the case. Like you, we just ask him point blank and, you know, he's kind of gives his opinion without giving his opinion on the referees. Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah, I know. I thought those were very interesting comments that he, that he made and just, yeah, the play, the play. Right. And and the objective there is to tell the team, oh, you need to earn more respect. Yeah. Right? You, and you I, have to I, I kind of don't it. I kind of don't disagree with him. Um, like, I think that that is kind of a thing, but I also think that he was making a point by well, saying it. 
I feel like it's a thing if you're the Colorado Rapids. Right. <laughs> and not the biggest club in the goddamn league, you know? That's my thought. That's my thought. But all that being said, I liked it as a as a mechanic of motivation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Steve Black says, the most impressive thing about the win was that we didn't compromise on our tactical philosophy and beat Red Bull New York on their own, on our own terms. How do other teams tactically approach a game when they play the Red Bulls? Um, I think that Atlanta is one of those particular teams that suffers against Red Bulls. And you might remember last year, Austin, who also very positional play, high possession team, Welcome Red Bulls to Austin and got thumped. Like it was oh, like really? exactly huh. what you would expect hmm. from an Atlanta United Red Bulls game where just these mistakes led to, to giveaways and everything like that. And Red Bulls capitalized on it. Right. So I think other teams have an easier time adjusting. But the yeah. DNA of Atlanta United is, is so ingrained in possession and building out of the back that it, it's tougher for them to. Uh, switch right because it's hard to switch because we can i can i soliloquize here a little, a little bit Jeff? that's not how you say that word but i'm from Rican, georgia so go for it me. go for it um look imagine imagine you woke up tomorrow and said you know what i'm gonna walk different today i'm gonna do i'm gonna walk different i'm gonna have like a different style to how a different i walk gate. a different gait you know you'd probably start off the day doing pretty well with that Mm-hmm. Like you'd probably like be like, okay, yeah, I'm walking different day, all that kind of thing. And you would be able to successfully execute on that. But at some point during the day, you're going to like get up to go to the kitchen or something like that. And you're just going to walk to the refrigerator and you'd be like, wait, oh, crap. Shit. yeah, that wasn't it. I walked normal. <laughs> yeah. So if you're, if you're walking normal is what Atlanta United's is, which is playing out of the back possession, build up. You can tell yourself you're going to walk weird all you want, but there are going to be moments where you slip up, right? And we saw that a few times against Red Bulls, but fortunately they were, it wasn't enough to, to, to mess them up, you know? But just think about that when we're talking about like, oh, they should tweak these things and everything like that. There's, there's only a certain extent to which you can do it, especially over 90 minutes. I love that metaphor. I love it. That was beautiful. Uh, and I totally agree. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was great. Don't Red Bulls like traditionally they have like a worse record against teams that are lower in the table, just like r- respective to, you know, all things being equal, all things being equal. They're generally worse than most teams are at their level against teams that are worse in the table. And they tend to beat teams that are higher in the table or just, you know, want to play in that kind of, you know, attractive, whatever the high possession mm-hmm. style game. And we there was plenty of discussion of it in the press conference that we had with Pineda on Thursday. And then I think he even made mention of it, you know, after the game, he's, he was like, it was an interesting, you know, dynamic between the two teams and the respect that Red Bulls are kind of set up to play against teams like us, like uh, Mm -hmm. to, to take advantage of teams that want to play like us. So yeah. And to your point, you can't just change everything. It's, it's, it, yeah, it just doesn't work. So, um, and I would say that, you know, I agree with C Black that the team didn't compromise on its tactical philosophy in general, but they did create a specific tactical game plan for this game that they mm-hmm. might not always use um, game to game. Totally. I think that's how you have to approach it. And, and fortunately, it worked out. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, it worked out. Again, everything should be centered around three points. Got it. Against Red Bulls. That's all that matters. Mm-hmm. All that matters. Adam says, how to rate Caleb at left back? I think we kind of touched on it a little bit, but yeah, th- thought it was really solid. Solid. Was yeah. solid. He's he's getting taller. Like, I know that's like a very like old person thing to say, <laughs> you know, but he's getting like taller and bigger. Like his frame is really yeah. impressive for an 18 year old, you yeah. know, 17 year old, however old he is at this point. Um, his physical skill set is very impressive as well for that level. Uh, mm-hmm. He looks like a professional. Yeah. Looks like a professional. First time caller says on the nine plus two metric, what was he's got, a, he's got? He's got a professional body with an 18 year old's mustache. <laughs> <laughs> it's a mustache that Caleb. keeps him grounded. Stay, stay confident. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> First time caller says on the nine plus two metric, what was our starting 11 yesterday? And do you make this assessment pre or post match? I, I, I think we can make it pretty much pre match. Remember, nine plus two is talking about whether you have your nine 
uh, ideal 11 players uh, along with like two less ideal 11 players, mm-hmm. you know, and, and generally once you get past that nine plus two threshold, you're going to start struggling more eight plus three, seven plus four worse. It's what Elaine and I had spent a lot of last year in. You're going to struggle, right? This one, I, I think it's pretty fair to, to call it like it, it's either an 11 plus zero or like a yeah. 10.5 plus zero. Yeah. 5, yeah. Right? Cause because of the Derek Etienne, Caleb Wiley situation where mm-hmm. Derek Etienne is, you know, probably your best left winger. Mm-hmm. But Caleb Wiley is also very good there, but you just don't have Andrew Goodman. Yeah, so it's somewhere in that 10.5 to 11 um, to 10, maybe, if you want to say that. But yeah, I mean, I thought that it was it was among the best they can put out there. I will say that I do think that by the end of this season, I think that um, Luis Abram will be a regular center back, mm-hmm. probably for Juanjo Parata. I'm just going to throw that out there, but certainly right now. Juan Operata is the number one center back and we'll he's playing keep, so well keep that spot it, until he tough. deserves yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. But, but notice, right? Like when he's, when he has to be the lead guy, when he has to be the one, you know, right. It, right. that he was yep. playing with 17 year old Noah cop, but when he has to be the one, he is not. Oh, you're totally guy. right. You're totally when right. He's miles next to him. Going great. When he's Alan Franco next to him. Let's not talk about it. Miles though. Going great. Going Man, great. Doesn't it make so much sense now in retrospect to like understand why Wanho was just, uh, why why Alan Franco was a terrible partner for Juan Operata, you know, just like oh, yeah, he totally. needs a calm, steady head next to him. He's like not a not very proficient on the ball. He's pretty basic. So he needs people around him who are responsible and tidy. Bert Hansen says, what do you think of Choll's first minutes of the season? We also touched on that yeah. for a little bit. Uh, again, thought it was solid. I thought it was much needed in the moment. Go JD says, Pineda's trench coat. Discuss now. <laughs> it's not it. It's tough to really classify it as a trench coat, but it does kind of look like a duster, like one of the characters from "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia" would wear. But it's not quite that long. It's only like knee-shinish length, right? So I, I think overall, it, <laughs> it works as a look for both. Uh, a soccer manager and an amateur performance of Phantom of the Opera. And I think that's really tough to find in these days. It's uh, I think I like it in general, but I think what gets me is there are like straps on the top with Mm -hmm. buttons on them that just feel like they're not really adding to anything. Mm -hmm. And I think I'd like a cleaner, less active Mm, coat, if that makes sense. Yeah. I like, I think think the concept is good. Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty good execution overall. I like the jeans. I like the shoes. I even like the white shirt. With I can't. It. I can't remember. Does he go tracksuit on the road? What does he wear on yes, the road? Yeah, he, or, no, he goes a little more. He'll casual. go like a jeans, like jeans yeah. and a t-shirt, mm-hmm. <laughs> something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is totally fine. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I yeah. like. I like a manager who kind of dresses up a little bit for the home games, and mm-hmm. I kind of like the kind of more casual. But no, I never like a tracksuit manager. I never like it. Mm-hmm. Just that's fair. Yeah. Um. And the worst is when they wear cleats. That's the worst. <laughs> when they tracksuit with cleats is the absolute They're part of the team, though. Joe. Own coil. Uh-huh. Um, well, yeah. I mean, this is, this brings up Pineda Head's question, which is the follow-up. On this topic, what would each of you wear during a game if you were an MLS head coach? And I think it's not really about what I would wear. It's more that if I was making enough money as an MLS head coach, <laughs> it's what my stylist would pick. <laughs> right. right like right, let, let's right. let's focus here like if i need like a once a week stylist for game days like i can i can get them to set up 34 outfits you know yeah for me it's a navy suit white shirt unbuttoned no tie mm-hmm. that's, yeah, that's is that enough yeah. is that enough detail yeah that's enough yeah, yeah. maybe uh maybe a, um the um uh, cardigan on underneath is it a cardigan or just like a sweater on underneath the mm. the jacket if it's a little chilly. Like you're teaching like a glee club or something. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> Rubber anchor says, what do you think Pineda takes notes about during pressers? Is he still making notes of his thoughts from the game? Only getting half his attention to those questions or is he writing notes about the questions? That's about the askers. None of those seem right. I would like it. If it was notes about the askers, like if Doug <laughs> is asking a question, it's like this fucking guy um (laughs) but i don't think it's that i think he's he's um he's just taking notes on the question so we can reference it back as he's answering um what's happening it it might be just a personal choice it might be um because 
English is a second language. I don't know quite exactly why he does it. I might ask one day, but I think he's taking notes about the questions. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, um, yeah. Uh, all right. Last one. Tony uh, says, are we back again? Again? Uh, look, you can't be back again, again, if you, if you didn't leave. You didn't leave. Some of y'all were panicking after that Columbus game. And I said, don't do that. Don't <laughs> do that. Right. You're right. And I was right. I was um, right. Yeah. <laughs> did he say, what did he say? We like, we returned. What, what did he use some, uh, language in that press conference and I'm trying to pull it up as quickly as I possibly can while burning times is great podcast fodder um, back to who we are. So yeah, he did say we're back. Oh, cool. Look, definitive done. done. This is definitively the end of the show. Go check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash five strike final plenty of stuff on there talk to like was it tom Bogart last week we talked to michael parker's yeah, the recent weeks we if talked you to sign Peter up Cardenas. if you sign up you get everything that we've done in the past so there's yeah, all yeah, the all stuff there. all the interviews that we've done this this season yeah with felipe michael parkhurst several you can even people. go look through every single piece of discord that's ever existed as yeah. well yeah if you want to if you want to it'd take a while it'd take a while uh go check out soccer.com go check out the striker.com, which I write for, and you can subscribe to. Please do that. It feels like yes, we're doing do good that. stuff. Uh, there's all sorts of things out there. We're all over the place. Joe's hosting 92.9's radio shows uh, yeah. this week, which is cool. That's really neat. Uh, yeah. We're all over the place. We're around. Yeah. We're around. It's fun. Go find us. Fun times. Yep. All right. All right. Joe, anything Thank else? Nope. Let's go here. That's it. Bye, all.